Uh, if you are uh, visiting with us uh, this morning, we are continuing uh, just a short sermon series uh, during this Advent season. Uh, Advent means arrival or coming. And the past few weeks, we have looked at the various uh, responses to God, the Son's arrival on earth. Uh, this is the responses or the poetry of Christmas that we've been talking about. So a couple of weeks ago, Todd Lowry preached to you about uh, Mary's song after she learns from the angel Gabriel that she's going to give birth to God the Most High. And then last week, Hal preached to us from Zechariah's prophecy after the birth of his son, uh, which he already mentioned, John the Baptist, or John the forerunner who would go before the Lord uh, to give knowledge of salvation to his people. So this morning we're actually going to we're going to look at the birth of Christ himself uh, in Luke chapter 2 and we'll see the angels response to that. So if you could turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, I'll begin reading in verse 1. We've also got it printed for you there uh, in the bulletin. Uh, let's give our attention to the reading of God's holy Uh, inerrant and inspired word. This is Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord." And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Uh, This is the very word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for 
the great privilege that we have uh, to come before you and to worship you and even uh, to hear from you. And it's all because of the blood of your son, uh, Jesus, that you sent uh, for us. I pray that you would be with us this morning, that by your spirit you would bless the hearing and the preaching of the word, that you would press it down into us to change us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, a couple years ago, I saw this, um, this internet meme. You, you guys know about the internet memes, right? They're silly pictures with little phrases on them that tell a little joke. But, um, well, this particular one, it had, it, it had a man with his eyes sort of, sort of half shut, and he has a thermometer sticking out of his mouth. And, and you could tell that he is, he is sick. And on the picture, it says, During labor, the pain is so great that a woman can almost imagine what a man feels like when he has a cold. <laughs> That's just a joke. Okay. My wife is carrying our fifth child, so don't email me. Okay. Um, but the, the joke, uh, it hits on... Uh, something important, uh, that our own perspective uh, is always the easiest one to understand, right? Uh, even when it's wrong. <laughs> um, so when it comes to, to Christmas, how does, your, how does your perspective affect the way you view the birth of Jesus? What is it that, that colors your thoughts about this time of year? Uh, what are some of the distractions or even, even lies that, that get in the way of understanding and really appreciating uh, the incarnation. Uh, Christmas is all about a God who makes and fulfills uh, his promises. And in this case, these are promises of salvation, not, not just from, from loneliness or poverty or even oppression, but a salvation from all that is wrong with the world, a salvation for all our longings. This salvation that results in a fullness that overflows and far exceeds anything that you could ever hope for or imagine. At, at Christmas time, uh, we rejoice that God's promises of salvation have come true, and they are continuing to come true. So as we look at these promises this morning, uh, what I want us to see is that these promises, Hal's already alluded to this, they rule history. Uh, these promises are clothed in humility. And lastly, that the fulfillment of these promises calls forth praise. Okay, these promises, they rule history, they're clothed in humility, and they call forth praise. So first... God's promises, they rule history. In other words, uh, they don't just appear at key times and key places, but they govern all the times. And all of the places in Christmas reminds us that the world's history is God's history. Uh, notice in verses 1 through 3, we see here that Caesar Augustus uh, has made a decree that all the world... Uh, will be registered. All the world here 
uh, probably has what they would have considered the civilized world in view, or simply just the Roman Empire. And what's called a registration here is, is Caesar's call for a census uh, for tax purposes. He needs to know uh, who to tax and, and how much. So he issues this decree. And in case they'd forgotten, this, this would have been a stark reminder to them of the Roman rule that they were under. Uh, the Roman rule that the original readers of Luke's gospel uh, were still under. Uh, this was the situation uh, into which our Savior was born. But notice what happens in verses 4 through 7. The census called by Caesar, it becomes the reason that Joseph and Mary travel to the city of David called Bethlehem. This is the fourth time uh, that David's name has come up in Luke's gospel. And he'll mention it again later in verse 11. Uh, Luke is showing that Jesus came to fulfill what we call the Davidic covenant. That in 2 Samuel 7, God told him that there would be a son of David who would come to rule God's kingdom and he would rule it uh, forever. Uh, The city of David here is not Jerusalem, but Luke's talking about Bethlehem. That's the city uh, where David was born, the city where he grew up, and the city of his life as a shepherd. And of course, Bethlehem's also the city uh, from which the Messiah would come. It's prophesied in Micah chapter 5. So do, do you see what Luke is doing here? He's putting the plans of God side by side with the so-called decree of the most powerful man in the most powerful empire that the world uh, had ever known. You see, it might look like Rome is in control, but God is always at work. He's always about fulfilling his promises. Jesus must be born in Bethlehem, and the census simply provides the occasion for God's work to be done. Uh, Caesar and every other ruler on earth is a ruler on a leash. The world's history is God's history. It serves the purposes of bringing God's Son into His rightful place, uh, Christmas teaches us that we can trust the God who makes and keeps His promises. The greatest earthly powers are under His control. So let me ask you, do you, do you trust Him? Uh, do you believe that you can see all that there is or is it, is it possible that God is working in ways that are beyond you? Uh, not just beyond your own sight, but beyond what you can even understand. Ra- raise your hand if you thought that sending a young pregnant girl on a 90-mile donkey ride to have her husband registered for tax purposes was the best way to make sure that the king of all creation was born in the right place. God sees the big picture. He knows how the parts fit together because he's the one who's writing the story. He knows the end and he knows how he'll get there. And by his grace, uh, this includes the good of his people. Everything 
in your life could be hard, and this would still be true. God would still uh, be trustworthy. But you might wonder, what, I mean, what is God up to in my life? Why has he put me uh, through this particular situation? And the hard fact is that you may just not ever get an answer to that question in this life. And I don't, I don't want to minimize uh, the great difficulty uh, that that creates. It is, it is hard to live in a fallen world. Uh, Mary and Joseph certainly knew that. But at Christmas time, as we consider the wonder and the beauty of the first advent, it should also point us forward to the second advent. Our ultimate hope that as we trust in the God of history, we can have real hope while we wait. A hope that that history is not meaningless, that your life is not meaningless, that everything is moving toward this climactic conclusion, which is really just the beginning, uh, the marriage supper of the Lamb with his bride. The God who sent his Son for his people will come again. Perhaps there are Already, uh, things on your mind that are making you anxious about 2018. Uh, those things, they, they can tend to make hope uh, seem maybe a little false uh, or even just to kind of fall flat. Uh, but we need to fight to remember that God's promises rule history. Uh, the, the second aspect of, of God's promises here are that they are clothed in humility this is, this is the longest point. Um, so the reason is because it's just so important to understand uh, really who Jesus is. Uh, to understand who you are as a Christian, as people uh, united to Jesus. And if, if you're not a Christian, if you are just trying to figure out if any of this uh, is true... Um, I, I pray that this will help you understand what it means to become a Christian. You see, to understand Christmas is to know that the plans and the promises of God come to and through humble servants. Uh, Mary has had her son, uh, so, and somewhere uh, nearby, we're not told exactly where, but out in the fields, an angel comes in the middle of the night, to speak with some shepherds. Initially, they are afraid, uh, probably not without good reason, but he tells them not to worry. He has good news for them. A baby's been born. And then he reels off uh, several titles, all of which carry enormous uh, significance. Verse 11 tells us that a child, this child is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. As the Savior, uh, the angel is telling them that this promise is coming to hearers that need saving. But more than that, he is also called Christ. Uh, Christ means uh, anointed one. It's the New Testament word for Messiah. This is who the Psalms and the prophets spoke so often about. It's the one who would restore Judah. 
and reunite the northern tribes of Israel. The Messiah is the true Davidic king, great David's greater son. But, that, but that's not all. The angel then says that he is Lord. Lord. This is the word that the Greek Old Testament used for Yahweh or Jehovah. The angel is describing this infant in the highest possible terms. He is the Savior, the anointed King, who is, in fact, God in the flesh. God's promises are coming true, and they're coming to fruition in this child. Now, at some level, uh, you probably already knew that. Um, But we need to pay attention here to see who the news is for. Uh, The message of Christmas, the announcement of the Savior of the world, does not come to Caesar Augustus. Verse 11 tells us that it is unto you. This is good news for shepherds. Now, some have suggested that Shepherds uh, might have been kind of an outcast group or people with sort of a a bad reputation. But I I think Luke's point is actually a little bit simpler here. Shepherds were simply ordinary people. Uh, We don't don't get their names. We're not told how many uh, there are here. There is nothing distinctive about them. And it's the opposite of the kind of flashy entrance that Caesar Augustus might have had for the birth announcement of his son. God is just not impressed uh, with man's glitter, uh, nor does he bring any of his own here. Uh, He is committed to the plain. Uh, Jesus, who would later call himself the good shepherd in John chapter 10, gives us a picture of his willingness to be identified uh, with the humble. But we also find uh, his willingness to become humble himself. In verse 12, the angel tells the shepherds that there will be a sign. The sign will be a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now, you, you can take this a couple ways. Uh, at a minimum, uh, this would be a sign that when they did find the baby, that everything the angel had said was actually true about him. But beyond that, and this is what what I think is really important, uh, this sign was to tell the shepherds what the Savior is really like. Okay, the sign interprets his titles. The Savior, Christ, and Lord of creation will be found in a feeding trough. The King of kings has come to be as low as, as the people that he came to save. Uh, Royalty and deity put on humanity and humility here. We we actually don't have uh, that many details, uh, but everything in the story points to poverty, uh, obscurity, and even rejection for our Savior. And this teaches us that dignity in the kingdom of God has nothing to do with worldly concerns. Uh, The importance 
of Jesus has absolutely no relation to his outward appearance, to material wealth, or to cultural influence. His significance is grounded in his role in redemptive history. And these humble circumstances highlight that fact. Uh, Do you want significance? Would you like to have meaning uh, in your life? Well, your value in the kingdom of God has everything to do with how you relate to this central figure in redemptive history. Will you humble yourself before a humble king? Uh, There's one more thing to point out in this section. Uh, Jesus' humility, of course, did not end uh, with his birth. Uh, Verse 7 actually has a a striking parallel uh, with another verse in the Gospel of Luke uh, near the end of the book. And the the really attentive reader uh, might notice that there's this little triplet here, swaddling cloths, manger, and no place at the end in verse 7. And in Luke 23, uh, as he writes of Jesus' body uh, being buried, he tells us his body was wrapped in a linen shroud, that it was laid in a tomb where no one had laid before. You see what Luke is saying? Uh, The humility of Jesus' birth anticipates his humility unto death. It was a whole life of humility. As one pastor put it, Christmas is a shepherd's errand, but no ordinary shepherd would lay down his life uh, for his sheep. Uh, but this is the shepherd king who's not like any other king. Uh, he would be the good shepherd uh, at the highest personal cost. Uh, my father was a really big University of Georgia football fan. He used to have a, a bumper sticker on the back of his car that said, It's hard to be humble when you're a dog. Now, it got easier in the 90s. Um, But this bumper sticker, it was on the back of a light blue giant boat of an Oldsmobile with big, uh, long streaks of rust running down both sides. But that did not stop my dad from uh, displaying proudly uh, this bumper sticker. He, He also wore a belt buckle for about 30 years commemorating the 1980 national championship. Um, He was the real deal. Um, But the thing is, you know, even in the face of decay (laughs) of this car, uh, we grasp for significance somewhere. Um, Christmas shows us that to be poor, uh, that to be friendless, and to be otherwise insignificant is in no way a sign of your importance in the kingdom of God. All your relative insignificance in the world is not an obstacle for God. And more than that, uh, your perceived worldly success is no advantage in his kingdom. Uh, Those things are also rusting away like an Oldsmobile. Write down, write down to your own body 
Everything that the world favors is in decay. God loves to show his strength in our weakness. And because because he himself was humbled, Jesus understands weakness. He personally remembers what it's like to be weak. There There is no other God like this God. And since subjects never exceed their king, uh, we need to learn here that our own humiliation precedes our exaltation. In other words, it, it is the humble who God lifts up. We, we live in a world that expects success. If you're like me, uh, you think that your life basically ought to be relatively easy. You know, not too easy, not too much money, but just enough money. All the basic comforts and, and happy children too. And sometimes we can, we can feel like the world is coming apart at the seams uh, when we don't have these things. My, my own house is in a, a mild state of shock right now because the dryer hasn't been working for about two days. Most of us in the room are wealthy compared to the rest of the world, but everyone in the room is wealthy compared to what Mary and Joseph were experiencing. Uh, The Lord of glory was born to first-time teenage parents. Any of you remember being a first-time parent? Uh, This is what God subjected himself to. And in first century Palestine, no less, with no hospitals and no running water and not even a place to stay. The promises of God and the fulfillment of those promises are clothed uh, in humility. That means that there is nothing that is too low for you. Uh, As Christians, we can gladly take on insignificance as we seek to exalt Jesus and not ourselves. So that takes us to the third point. Uh, The fulfillment of God's promises calls forth praise. That is, when we consider God's covenant and the great lengths that he has gone to keep it, uh, the only Proper response is our sincerest devotion and worship. Uh, Christmas uh, should produce caroling. Do you know that feeling uh, when you get in the car and you forgot that you left the radio on really loud before you got out the last time? So you, you turn the key and you're sort of blasted into some sort of alternate Leonard Skinner universe or something. Maybe it's another universe for you. Um, but you get the point. It's, it's a bit of a shock uh, when that happens. Well, up through verse 12, there's only been one angel in the picture. But in verse 13, a multitude of the heavenly host comes on the scene. And I am guessing that it was a bit jarring. A host is sort of a, sort of a Bible word for army. You could think of it as as God's entourage or his motorcade. But this is, 
a vast array of angelic soldiers that are there not just to fight for God, but to surround him in this great display and announcement of his majestic glory. And they burst forth in praise, saying this familiar line, glory to God in the highest. This is what Gloria and Excelsis means. I don't know. Maybe they didn't know that song. Um, but I can't imagine, I can't imagine how this would have sounded. Uh, this would certainly uh, put lessons and carols to shame, right? But then they add, on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. They are they're praising God for the peace that the birth of Christ brings. This peace of Christmas uh, that you and I need. Uh, that every sinner needs not, not a feeling of peace, but the healing and reversal of the curse. This, this is the peace that Zechariah prophesied about in chapter 1. It's the peace that surpasses understanding. This is the peace between a holy God and sinful men that's brought about by and rooted in his own eternal love. This is not a peace that comes from God being pleased with you this year, uh, but it's from his sheer favor. It does not rest on any human quality, but on God's disposition toward men. So I want you to think for a minute. Uh, This should really cause us to consider what is praiseworthy in Jesus you know, the angels, uh, they are not praising God for their own salvation here. In fact, there, there is no redemption for the angels. They're either fallen or elect, and when they sinned against God, they did not get any good news. Uh, what they are praising here is simply the character of the God that they love. And as it's displayed in the wonder of the incarnation, that God would become man. They observe God fulfilling his promises to save a people for himself, and they cannot help but sing about it. They see clearly that God, in and of himself, completely a part of any benefit they might receive from him, is altogether praiseworthy. Now, if you're a Christian here this morning... If you've been brought out of darkness and into the kingdom of light, your sins have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus, of course, you have every reason to praise God for your salvation. But the angels, uh, they are teaching us something important here. That in in the final analysis, even, even your own salvation is not ultimately about you, but about the glory of God. We were made and even saved for his praise. God the Son took on flesh that he might be glorified in and through us as we are united to him. And it's our greatest joy to see God's glory made manifest. So after the shepherds 
make the trip to Bethlehem, they, they confirm that everything the angel said was true, and they follow up with the only proper response in verse 20. They imitate the angels, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen. Now, if the angels, if the angels had a reason to praise God for the salvation of men, how much more uh, you and I? Are you enamored with the birth of Jesus? Uh, Stephen, Stephen Charnock, a 17th century English Presbyterian. That's to get you excited about what I'm about to say. Um, he said, there is something in Christ more excellent and comely. Uh, that, that means uh, pleasing in appearance or fair, more excellent and comely than the office of a savior. The greatness of his person, that he is both God and man, is more excellent than the salvation procured by his death. So has the incarnation begun to captivate you like this? Uh, Perhaps you think it should, (laughs) Or you'd even like for it to, but you find that it's just not always easy to see the world uh, as it really is. Um, sin distorts our perspective. Uh, it makes us nearsighted. But when we are in tune uh, with reality, that is when we begin to see that God really is who he says he is. He is most holy most wise, most good, that God the Son is the fulfillment of all your longings and that everything beautiful on earth is simply an imitation and a pointer to His true beauty. When by the Spirit you begin to get a glimpse of these things, then worship is the most natural and enjoyable thing to us. It's an instinct Like a dog chasing a tennis ball uh, or a man staring at a fire. Uh, You just can't help it and it never gets old. Uh, But because it's hard, it's hard to see reality. We need to lift up our eyes or or better to have them uh, lifted. We, We need the Christmas season and the rhythms of weekly church life to draw our thoughts to Jesus. So as you celebrate Christmas uh, this year, as you light your tree, as you open presents, and especially uh, as you sing, remember that you were made to worship. And the promise of Christmas is that one day you will see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Uh, you will sing with the angels without hesitation without any distracting thoughts glory to God in the highest let's pray Father we do praise you uh, the best we know how we're limited people but I pray that you would help us to give ourselves to you, to give our whole selves to you uh, because we love you and because we know 
uh, that it's for our own good. And I pray uh, that over the next few weeks, as we all consider and celebrate the birth of Jesus together, I, I do pray that it would point us forward, that, that we would see that you sending your son provides the certainty that we will see him again and that we will be with him uh, forever. We pray these things in his name. Amen.